Hey everybody, we are back with Brain Pick. I know it's been quite a while, but I'm finally back with a new episode. I'm Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff. And if this is your first time listening to this, you might want to go back and check out some of the other episodes. This show started as a live Q&A on YouTube. It's since then transitioned into an audio podcast. This podcast is just about talking to awesome people who make stuff, all sorts of different stuff, and just talk about how they got to where they are, what they're up to, and what's coming next. So in this episode, we're going to talk to Bill Duran from Punished Props. Bill is a prop maker and a cosplayer. He makes all sorts of weapons and costumes and really amazing stuff out of lots of different materials. He's a really fun guy and I had a blast talking to him. You'll learn a lot from him, both from listening to this and from watching his YouTube channel, where he teaches all sorts of stuff about making molds, making things with foam, all sorts of painting techniques. There's a lot of knowledge in Bill and he's really happy to share it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Bill Duran from Punished Props. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Hey. Hey, Bob. How is it going over there? It's pretty good over here. Awesome. Well, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Um, I'm interested to learn more about you and more about... I mean, I know, I know about what you do now, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people know about what you do now, but I'm really curious about how you got here, and so that's something I definitely want to talk about. Um, and I also want to hear kind of what you have planned for this upcoming year. Oh, I got plans. So most most of them are Star Wars related. <laughs> oh, okay, well then we can talk about that for an hour. <laughs> no, let's, that'll that'll sideline us for a while. Yeah. Um, well, let, but, let's start. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Let's start back yes. with like um, mainly like pre college years. I want to hear sure. like what you were as a kid, what you did as a kid, what you made, all that stuff. Uh, the first thing I made was a lightsaber. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. <laughs> no, we did um uh growing up. I'm I'm glad you mentioned too like how what where I am now versus where I started because a lot of people approach me they want to be a prop maker for a living and they want uh me to tell them what that path is. Yeah. And that path for me included working at Microsoft for 4 years and I can't really recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, everyone has their own path, and it twists and turns. Mine, mine started, uh, we, we lived in a pretty creative household. My mom is an art teacher. Mm. Um, just retiring, actually, next month. So she's been at it for quite a long time. Nice. Uh, Dad is was an English teacher. He's retired now, but he's very handy. We, had, uh, we were fortunate in our basement of our house. We had the hobby shop uh, where we mostly radio-controlled cars, boats, planes all of that stuff and we lived in upstate new york and it got really cold but we had a um a uh wood stove in the basement there in that hobby shop so it was warm all winter long we'd go down there and fart around building stuff um modifying the house we rebuilt a car 1968 volvo p1800 that i uh, as soon as it was finished, the insurance company told my dad he was absolutely not to let his 16-year-old twin sons drive it. <laughs> <laughs> so even though we helped rebuild a car, I've only driven it like once or twice. <laughs> oh, wow. Does he still have it? He does. It's kind of a, the pride of his uh, his collection there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that was cool. So, yeah, we grew up being super-duper handy, super artistic, and creative. Uh, and then I pursued the digital arts I went to school for. Uh, mostly 3D modeling and animation. Okay. Where'd you go to school? On the East Coast? or did you? East Coast, yeah. A couple of little uh, SUNY schools in upstate New York and Alfred and Oneonta. I did. Never heard of those. (laughs) No, no, they're quite (laughs) tiny. But I did, uh, I believe I applied to SCAD 
in oh, your okay. neck of the woods. Yeah. 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 And my parents were like, Bill, that's pretty cool. If you get some scholarships, you could totally go. And I did not get any scholarships, so I did not go to SCAD. Gotcha. Uh, but it was uh, it was a close call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went to SCAD, and that's I'm still mm-hmm. in the in the area. Harrison went to SCAD. Yep. 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 I would have been there at the same time as him. That would have been, I mean, at the time wouldn't have been weird, but uh, now, like I met Harrison years ago, and we are basically in the very similar career paths. Uh, but nope, no, nope, did not go to SCAD. I went to SUNY Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you did 3D modeling, animation mm-hmm. stuff. That was like mm-hmm. the full school. What, what were you planning on doing with that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was just cool at the time. <laughs> it was really neat. I think it was at the time I thought was either animation for films or for video games, like 3D modeling of video games. Hmm. And the uh, the it's weird. This was back in 2000, and the programs weren't very uh, focused. They're more general art with some digital stuff looped into it. So I took like a, I took web design. I took. Um, Uh, After Effects classes, Uh, I took uh, video editing, photography, 3D modeling, animation, Photoshop, a very general sort of spread of digital art type stuff. Um, But I focused personally on the 3D modeling and animation because that's what I enjoyed the most. Hmm. Now I I know if I was going to um, go back to school for something like that, I would go to find a program that focused on the particular skill set that I was interested in learning. Although yeah. being good at video editing has turned out to be really, really helpful now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to an art school as well. And, you know, I think I went for graphic design and I, I had an idea that I wanted to do a very specific thing. But I think the general art education was way more beneficial in the long run for me, yeah, you know, because be. it, it exposed me to all sorts of like physical art, 3D design stuff that I hadn't done before you know, physically. And then I got to do modeling and video and, you know, so I think it worked out well for me. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if I was going to go to school now, I would, I would just do a tight focus. Right. Yeah. Like, like I would love to go and I I don't know how much stuff I'd actually need to go back to school for, but I want to get into machining metal Hmm. mostly so I can make a Han Solo blaster. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, machining, like I have a wood lathe and it's the smallest one that Harbor Freight sells. It's a piece of crap, but very hard to hard to hurt myself with that still hmm. possible but oh, yeah. hard to do the next upgrade in, in lathe uh technology for me is going to be kind of terrifying so i'd like to get a little bit of professional instruction before i make that leap right yeah i'm kind of with you on that the lathe i mean even the wood lathe scares me to death I oh yeah one, i've never used it what do you what do you lathe what type of stuff do you use it for we usually use um, urethane plastic, actually. Hmm. So what I'll do is I'll take like a toilet paper roll and I'll f- mix up some Smoothcast 300 or something, fill it up uh, with that. And I've learned now the best thing to do is to uh, pressure cast that. Um, I just got a pressure pot uh, for exactly that. Then you're, the, the piece that you're going to turn in the lathe is a cylinder already. Uh, it's a homogeneous density. It doesn't have any wood grain or anything in it. And it has no bubbles in it. Mm. Um, I, I think a lot of people who make um, uh, custom fountain pens, I think they do it that way. Right. So you can get some really cool looking materials that way. But I'll do like a custom gun barrel thing <clears throat> um, or a, a handle for a sword. And I, I'll use that or I'll use like a urethane tooling foam. 
Uh, and again, the, all of these things are going to get molded and cast, so it's not like a fine, fancy-looking wood that's just going to get stained and and finished that way. So it doesn't matter what it looks like. It just right. needs to get to the mold phase. Gotcha. Um, so, okay, we've we've gotten into, you're talking about materials and techniques oh, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I, I want to get through that and talk to that. But first, for the people that don't really ah. have, you know, uh, reference as to what you do mm-hmm. and everything. So you do, you wear cosplay, you make incredible cosplay costumes and weapons and props and all sorts of stuff. What came first? Wear, oh. Wearing cosplay? Like, you know being a part of that community or making props uh let's go on a journey let's go back to <laughs> 2009 uh at the time i was living with a bunch of friends most of us worked at microsoft together with it living with my wife and uh we were like this wacky commune of creative people that all ended up at this really weird boring desk job at microsoft so like in our spare time we'd play video games and, and fart around making stuff uh, and we had a friend of ours who was way into anime conventions. Uh, and, and we have the PAX video game convention out here in Seattle. And we would go every year and just go play video games. Well, one year, this friend, Erin, I blame her for all of this. She, uh, she was like, guys, we need to dress up in costumes. It's the coolest thing ever. And we're the kind of people who are like, all right, <laughs> sure, that sounds good. And we, uh, we did Team Fortress characters from... Uh, what was it? For, no, from Team Fortress. Team Fortress Two. So we were the blue team. I was a soldier. My wife was a sniper. Uh, we were all military-looking, cartoony characters, and we just—I—I uh, I had built plenty of things in the past, so I went with what I knew, like wood and bondo and and glue and and a jigsaw, and just cobbled together all of the the guns and stuff for our costumes. I even did some sewing. I fin- literally finished sewing the jacket the night before we left (laughs) (laughs) nice but we did that and everything was kind of this weird jury rigged finish but we went to the convention and people lost it we had six Hmm. people in our group so even though at the time you would see costume here costume there very rarely would you see a big group of people so we did that i uh, either built or helped build most of the guns because I was already pretty handy. And then I was like, that was awfully fun. <laughs> I want to make more space guns. And that's really what the, the springboard was for that. Um, the costumes were almost like a like a, a, a platform through which I had an excuse to build space guns. <laughs> gotcha. I see now. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So, so you started that as a, just a, hey, yeah, let's do this. It'll be fun. Yep. Uh, what was the next, like... Like, I just want to hear the story. How did you get sure. from... Well, also, I want to know about Microsoft. Yeah? Where did that happen? Like, what, what were you... After school, how did you get to Microsoft? <laughs> what were you doing at Microsoft? I, I worked at Dell, so I have a, a, oh, great. an interest no, in... It's, a, it's, it, it's everyone's story, basically. You, you graduate with a computer art degree, right? Then you bartend for, like, two years. <laughs> Every, it's, everyone does this. Then... Uh, this is in New York. Then you you and your friends moved to Seattle for no reason. Just move across the country uh, to try and get jobs in the video game industry. Don't get a job in the video in- game industry, <laughs> despite your best efforts. What did I do? Oh, I taught at a high school for a year. I taught animation and web design at a high school. Oh. 
Uh, obvious. I mean, that's the next logical step. Uh, and then <laughs> I was unemployed for about five months where I played just about all the World of Warcraft anyone can play. Like, I pushed it to the limit. <laughs> and then uh, they were putting it together a team at Microsoft. I had a friend who knew the uh, person running the team, and they were looking for people, and it was a good job. So I got hired there doing video publishing, and I stuck around for about four years. Okay. Right yeah. On. I mean, it's Everman's story. It's pretty Yeah, <laughs> pretty it's, it's familiar. Yeah. <laughs> then the next logical step, obviously, prop maker. <laughs> <laughs> No, when I look back on it, it all seems like just just the most insane, wacky journey ever. Right. So, I mean, obviously, you started doing like the prop stuff, mm-hmm. in, um, you know, part time. Is that it? Was just kind of after hours, weekends kind of deal. Yeah. Um, what my friends and I did is we we kept finding more and more excuses to make new costumes. So we had a steampunk convention here in Seattle for a while. Um, we have Emerald City Comic Con. We have PAX. Um, so we just kept finding excuses to make more costumes, and it really kind of consumed my my spare time. And the thing that I found about especially like building props and stuff or solving those problems is that uh, when I was trying to be a 3D modeler, to be a professional, trying to get hired in the video game industry as an artist um, – I I enjoyed the process, but I I wasn't so passionate about it that I was willing to forego other distractions, like World of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, with the prop making, I was I found that I had the passion there to spend every hour not at my job, working in my shop, building stuff, not playing video games, hmm. um, and that's that's less about making myself do something and more about discovering that's what I had a, made a priority in my life. That was the thing I enjoyed the most. Um, and that's when I started really seriously thinking about turning it into a career. Gotcha. So yeah. at, the, at the same time, I know your wife is working with you now mm-hmm. doing props. Was she kind of like on the same path doing finding that no. out about herself? or No, actually, um, she did. We worked together at Microsoft, and then she got a job in the video game industry, but not as an artist. She was working um, testing in QA, and she moved between a few different companies, um, worked on a bunch of different titles. She actually worked on Destiny, which oh. is super cool, yeah. um, which I've got my, my Destiny helmet right here. Nice. Uh, yeah, and then she just uh, wanted to give this thing a try, and almost a year ago, uh, jump ship on Destiny to try and make the punished props thing work better, and it has been pretty great. Awesome. <laughs> I'd be a little selfish and say yes. Having a second pair of hands around here has made things a lot better. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And Destiny and, and Bungie, they've got plenty, plenty of good people still there. So they'll... yeah, I think they got enough hands around there yeah, to <laughs> to do that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some of the actual prop, like mm-hmm. technique. Let's get back to techniques. All right, that good. type of stuff. Um, I don't have a lot of experience there, so I don't have any really fantastic questions to ask specifically. Okay. But I'm really curious about like, what are your limitations? Because I know like a lot of people work better when they're limited by their skill set or by the tools that they have available to them, or you know. And when you own your own business and you can decide what you want to do, often like it's easy to take the limitations out of your way. Say, well, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I can't do this, so I'm going to focus on this instead. What are some of your limitations where you are now with what um, you're making? Mostly it's time. Hmm. Um, and, and this whole thing, like doing this as a business, has been a 
massive exercise in self-discovery. Uh, the, the rule I, I set for myself when I quit my job, because I had a pretty good job. The rule I said is if, I, if, if I'm going to go run my own business and work on stuff for myself, if I find myself picking projects and doing work that I don't enjoy doing, then I might as well just go back to my old job, right? Because mm. that's what I was doing at my old job. And my old job offered me a whole lot more consistency, mostly with paychecks. Right. Uh, so that's what I keep telling myself. I have this very limited scope of time to choose the projects I want to work on, the type of work I want to do. Um, so I have to prioritize things. And having a limited budget of time has forced me to prioritize things, which is great because then I say no to a lot more projects. I'm a lot more picky about the things I do. Um, and for example, my wife and I are currently planning out our 2016 and we intentionally kept it as clear as possible so that we could uh, plan out some projects that just that we just want to do that just sound like fun things that we want to do versus taking paid client work that someone else wants to have done just for the, you know, so that we can get paid. So, but the majority of, of what you have done in this, let's say last year, two years, has that been mostly client work or? that That's how it got started. So I, I quit my job in 2012 and everything at that time was client work. People, hmm. uh, co uh, cosplayers or collectors, people who wanted me to build their favorite video game prop, um, Excuse me. That's most of what we did. And I did a lot of like blank kits. So I'll make a mold of something and I'll sell a blank Mass Effect gun to a cosplayer. Then they'll paint it themselves. I did a lot of that stuff. And that's how we got on for a long time. But then it slowly transitioned into building more and more tutorial content um, and less and less of the client work, especially since the tutorial stuff is starting to work out for us um, as a revenue stream, which is fantastic. Right. And and that and that more than anything, like I said, the time being a huge factor, that more than anything has freed up a lot more time for us to start pursuing things that either uh, would benefit our company more or sound like a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I just have a list of like fun projects that I want to do in the future that require that for time to get freed up. So, for example, watch um, Empire Strikes Back like last night. Uh, I love snow speeders. I have five different, six different models of snow speeders right here. I want to build a full scale snow speeder. Now, convincing someone <laughs> to pay me to build a full scale snow speeder, that is an uphill battle because right. that is a massive time commitment. And unless someone fronts me like, I don't know, 30 grand to do it, <laughs> I can't make the time for it. Right. But if I design my business in a specific way and make money other ways, then I can totally build a full-scale snowspeeder. <laughs> and if you need extra hands on that, let me know. I will, I will to, let you know, yeah. Fly to Seattle. That would be awesome. Yes, that won't be done here. We live in a, a rental, and I work in my basement. So I won't be building a snowspeeder in my basement. But our next house, nice. I will be, like, when we're house shopping, I'm going to have that in mind. <laughs> I don't know if this space is big enough to fit a full-scale snowspeeder. There's no hangar at this place, so we have to get another, uh, another yeah. place with a space hangar. Yep. Now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned limitations, though, um, because even though I have a limited time budget, I find that that lights a fire under mm. me. Like, that motivates me to get work finished. Nothing motivates me more than a deadline, especially when that deadline is tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So with deadlines, do you, are those mostly imposed by the client that you're working with or do you kind of set your own? 
Um, I some of the client stuff that I've done, people have hired me with an open ended deadline. They just there's a thing they want made, and they just want me to make it for them, and they they don't have a deadline for it. And those projects take a very long time to get done. Right. Um, when a client does have a specific deadline, then they get done a lot faster. Um, but more and more now, since more of the work we do isn't driven by a client and their needs, we've found we've had to impose our own deadlines. Uh, and, and part of what's great about that, since we do so much YouTube stuff and we try and get a video out every single week, that gives us a structure inside of our schedule hmm. to start setting some of those deadlines for ourselves. Which is good, right? Yeah. So I was curious about the the YouTube, um, and well, how it plays into and your entire business, and how it, like, how the focus has shifted. So you started making stuff for other people, and then mm-hmm. was the YouTube tutorial how to end of it just something that like naturally happened, or was that intentional? Like, hey, we should go in this direction, or um, a co- there are a couple of things. Um, and it's very similar to Mark Spagnolo's st- story. People wanted to know. Actually, for them, I think it was more like people wanted to know why the custom furniture was so expensive. So he started filming videos to show all the work that went into it, and that slowly evolved into a um, a business, the business of, sh- of tutorial videos for woodworking. Uh, for me, it was more like people wanted to know how I made stuff so that they would they could learn. And I already have a background in video editing. I enjoy filming and video editing and being on camera anyway. So I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. And the more I did it, the more fun I had with it. And the more feedback I got about the YouTube videos, the more um, motivated I was to keep doing them, I guess. Right. And that's that's um, I don't know what there's some rocket sauce happening in the last couple of months. But it's I was on the fence with how much I effort I wanted to put into my um, my YouTube videos um, the not I wanted to put more effort into it whether or not I could justify it was kind of the problem right like I want to get better cameras I want higher production value I want to do more videos but when I'm making you know not so much ad revenue on it uh, it was hard to justify. But I'll tell you what, in the last few months, things have started to kind of take off for us on YouTube, and I've been reinvigorated. Uh, plus, we found other ways to make our YouTube channel a lot more valuable for us. So awesome. other than other than just like trying to scrape up the ad revenue that we get from from Google every month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just not a ton. So nope. I, that was the second part of my question was like, how does it play into the future? Like, what what are the plans for the YouTube side of stuff? And how is that going to... Like, are you expecting that to totally eat away at the client, the time you put into client work? Or I, yeah, I, I imagine I'll get to a point where we maybe only take one or two client projects a year, and it's not about the great thing is that it's not about money. Um, we we can get picky about projects and do projects for clients who are willing to pay uh, the right budget for it. Uh, but also projects that would make really good content for our channel and for our uh, for our website or possibly for the next book that we might do. Because um, I'll tell you what, like if someone else wants me to make a giant anime sword, I'm not that interested in it because I've made enough giant anime swords that it's kind of played out and I'm kind of sick of doing them. Uh, but if someone's like, hey, Bill, <laughs> we're making life-size replicas of spaceships from Star Wars, here's a pile of money. 
That's the kind of client work that I would love to get a hold of because that gives me long-term video content for my channel. Uh, it's paid for ahead of time. Uh, it sounds like a whole lot of fun. Uh, those are the kind of projects that I want to do, and that's the kind of client work I might do going forward. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess having, you know, I mean, in my case too, having the, the YouTube stuff gives you the freedom to be even choosier about what you take mm -hmm. in from the outside. So yeah, that's awesome. And more than anything, too, with YouTube, um, we found that um, it's a great – a couple of things. It's a great discovery platform. Mm -hmm. So in the last couple of months, we've had a lot of new fans showing up who don't know who we are, and they've found us through YouTube, um, which is great because we can then say, oh, you know, we have all this wonderful content. We have over 300 videos you can go check out. Uh, we have a, a live podcast you can check out every week. I have a book you could buy if you're interested in foam content. Uh, costume making like the youtube thing not only is it an, a, a great way to make valuable content for people but it's a it's an entry portal for new fans to show up and be introduced to everything else that we do you know with our business right now have you found that in that case because i find this and i'm curious about in, in the place that you're in have you found that as a hub as like a social media hub and things does youtube seem disproportionately larger than the other networks um it depends i think for me it, it it is because part of the problem is that i i operate in the world of cosplayers and prop makers so my social media feed is just full of those hmm. so if i go to facebook um it's i've ignored everyone on my page who isn't posting stuff about Star Wars mostly, or, or props or costumes. Um, so that's like my very narrow view of social media. Uh, but I will say there are lots and lots of cosplayers and prop makers who have Facebook pages. Um, there are lots of them who are on Twitter or on Instagram, other social media sites. But there are only a few of us on on YouTube, only a very few people in that community who are making videos. Hmm. So for us, I think it is disproportionately higher because of that right because it turns out making videos is really hard yeah a lot of work yeah it is I, I have found oddly enough that even though that is the most uh work intensive part of what i do you know it's where i spend most of my time mm -hmm. the reach that i have through youtube is way way bigger than everything else so that's what i was curious if it was the same yeah way. definitely yeah definitely it's it's uh it's, especially we're learning more and more how to play the youtube game Right. Uh, which is interesting because uh, we try hard. We, we always have the end card with all your videos, previous videos. You always tell people to subscribe. Um, an interesting thing about that, uh, I'll watch. Oh, I've been watching this guy lately. He's this Canadian guy. Uh, his channel is called AVE. Mm -hmm. He does. It's, I think it's Arduino versus evil or something. He's this wacky Canadian guy who is super smart, but he doesn't like structure his videos the way you're supposed to on right. youtube yeah. he doesn't have an end card or anything he doesn't say anything about himself the videos are hilarious and i have watched almost every single one of them uh so it's i guess that's a lesson in the the content is probably still a lot more important than the structure of your youtube channel i don't know that's just something i've been thinking about a lot lately but we're trying you know we're trying to play that youtube game we're trying to get our content out there more more and more yeah i mean the, i think you, with youtube specifically there's like a lot of things that you can do to get in the search results 
but mm-hmm. you'll only stay there and you'll only be found if the content is, you know, getting people interested exactly, yeah. and dragging you into their social feeds and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, the game yeah. only goes so far after that. That's it's true. All yeah. Content. But content is king. I've heard. That's right. That's what they say. Yeah. Well, let's get back to props. Sure. So I'm curious. You make a lot of space guns. I do make a lot of costumes. Mm-hmm. What kind of props are just not worthwhile? Like financially or your time or what's just something that's not worth doing i oh boy it's it's tricky because this is a very it's a decision every maker has to make for themselves i think um for me when people want people will come to me and they want a uh let's say a prop gun from the walking dead right well that's like like you could just buy a shotgun like in fact it would be cheaper <laughs> It would be way cheaper to just go to a sporting goods store and buy a shotgun, a real one that shoots bullets, than it would be to hire me to make a fake one, right? Hmm. Because that's already done. You can just go buy it. Or you could buy an airsoft version of it. Um, just for me, that's not satisfying at all. To, to I like making stuff from scratch. Um, kit bashing is also really, really cool. I suck at it, though, so I don't tend to do that. I would rather build something completely from scratch that's just how I how I roll. Um, if you're looking to build stuff that you want to end up making some money on, the stuff that's not worth it are, unfortunately, things that are really obscure. Hmm. So you may have a, your favorite prop from your favorite television show or movie that you think is really, really cool. But if it's super obscure, you know, no one's going to buy it. Um, but then at that point, you really have to ask yourself, why am I making this? You know, am I making this for other people or am I making it for myself? Right. What about techniques and materials? Like, are there, are there some materials that you've used in the past that are almost not worth using because they're so expensive or the process is so expensive? Uh, usually it's the other way around. Usually the more expensive tools and materials are usually, again, for the most part, uh, well worth the price you pay. A good example, people ask me, um, we're doing a video series on mold making right now. We just kicked it off this week because uh, I've gotten this question time and time again. How do I make molds? And I, I've I've made just dozens and dozens and dozens of molds. So people ask me, well, silicone is really expensive. And that's a fact. It's not cheap. Uh, can I use silicone caulk from the hardware store? And the technical answer is yes, but in reality, it's so much better to spend the coin on the real material, learn the techniques involved in, in proper mold making, because in the long run, that's going to be such a better benefit than saving a couple bucks here and making a crappy little silicone mold that's going to fall apart after you use it once. Right. Um, so more than anything, the, the cheap stuff tends to not be worth the time, I would say. Um, and the same goes for tools. I'm sure you have... Uh, plenty of stories of buying that cheap tool from Harbor Freight, <laughs> breaking it a couple weeks later, and then going and buying the good one. Yep. It yep. happens happens on occasion. It sure does. I had um, a drill press from Harbor Freight, and I used it for a really, really long time. It was their smallest little drill press, uh, but it simply did not spin straight. Huh. So every hole I drilled ended up just a little bit bigger than the... <laughs> The diameter of the bit I was using, but I just dealt with it for a long time until I could afford to go buy a, a better drill press. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, with tools and stuff, what what are some things that you obviously you work in like a bunch of different types of mm-hmm. materials? Um, what's some stuff you haven't done yet that you want to do? Oh, material wise. 
Uh, I want to work with metal. Mm. I see. I see guys like you doing welding on on your videos, and I'm like, mm, I want some of that. <laughs> so welding, CNC, aluminum. Actually, I got that X carve, and I haven't done any um, uh, aluminum CNC mm. on there, but it's it's on the list certainly. Uh, but yeah, I definitely want to work with more metal for guns. Is that the the idea? You would work those more into the props. Part part of it, yeah. Um, a, I want to build like some really nice heavy duty um, shelves and and workbenches the next time we move shops. Uh, but also, I want to build props that have moving parts. And everything I do now is usually a cast plastic piece, and those are pretty good. Uh, but if I want to have a lot of intricate moving parts, then I want to make brackets and stuff and hip pivots and hinges and everything out of metal so that it's really really nice and durable. Um, so that I can count on those mechanisms working consistently for a long time. Um, yeah, I want to make more metal. Plus, if you're going to make, um, like I mentioned, Han Solo's blaster, uh, it's built off of a, a prop gun, like a, um, what is it, a Mauser C96. You can get a really nice heavy-duty metal replica of those. And it seems to me like if I get a metal gun base and then I put plastic pieces on it, it's just gonna feel cheaper in your hand. Right. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna spend the time to make, I mean, I'm gonna make one Han Solo blaster. By the way, everyone, don't come to me for your Han Solo blaster. <laughs> I'm making one, and it's for me. You, you could make two. I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe I could be swayed. Let me know. But but anyway, if I'm gonna go through all that, then I want to machine all of the pieces for it out of aluminum, so it's got that nice right. like feel in your hand. Right. Yeah. So a lot of I will say too on that a lot of um, uh, the sales pitch I would have back when I would sell more actual physical props is someone would look at a prop gun that I made and they'd say oh that's really really cool and then I immediately I put it in their hand because even like I have this gun here it's um, it's plastic but it's solid it's a big meaty uh, plastic gun it's got some good weight to it it weighs almost two pounds and when someone holds something like that in their hand you can see their face light up and they're like oh this is, hmm. this feels significant right. like like it doesn't shoot bullets but if you club someone with it it would totally <laughs> take them down uh, so there's a lot about the prop uh, owning thing that has to do with the weight and the feel of the piece when it's done. So uh, with that, are most of the props that you do for just people that like to collect the props or are they for the cosplay community where they're actually in use, you know, at cons and stuff? I would say a lot of the the stuff that we end up doing is for cosplayers. That's really it's where we got our start. That's a community where our, our work really resonates. Hmm. Um, a lot of what we've done lately has been with EVA foam. And I, I know you mentioned you wanted to work more with EVA foam. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm writing another book. We did one on on costumes. I'm one, writing one right now. It should be done in just a couple of weeks on making weapons out of foam. And what's so fantastic about that is it's a, it's a cheap material. It's quick to work with. It's it, Especially because you screw up and you throw it away and you start again <laughs> constantly. Uh, but also, if you're going to carry that around at a convention, you got a big costume on. Uh, I've got you know, probably there's a, I have a giant axe here oh, that wow. I made out of foam. Yeah, <laughs> it this weighs like I have this little plastic gun and I have this big axe here. That axe weighs as much as that gun. It's massive, but it's foam. It's lightweight. Uh, if I bonk someone with it, they're not going to get hurt, whether that's intentional or not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's convention safe. A lot of conventions have strict rules about the type of prop weapons you can bring. So more and more cosplayers are getting into this and they want to have that showcase prop to go along with their costume. And we've been doing all this stuff with foam weapons uh, and that people seem to be um, really stoked about that, especially because it's so cheap. Yeah, yeah. I, that's something I'm really interested in. And I've learned so much from the videos that you've done about it so far and the book. Thank you very much for the book. The book's called Foam Smith. That's right, Foam yeah. Smith. If you look up Foam Smith on Google, I think it's probably the first thing that shows up. Yeah. So everybody check that out. But I am really interested and I'm gonna be hitting you up for some some help with that once I get sure, there. Sure, definitely, yeah. Um I am curious about you said that some cons have different rules about the weapons and stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I, I did a video just customizing a nerf gun, and I you know, it's in my office. Like the idea was I painted it, it's in my office, that's where it stays. I got tons of comments about it not having an orange tip. Which I realize, right. I realize is a safety issue, you know, on the street. What's the deal with that in the cosplay community? Because when you look at pictures of these cons, nobody has that. Because no, just what's what? the deal there? Well, actually, I wrote a whole chapter about that in my new book that's coming out soon. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I'll give you the rundown. Okay. Um, essentially, you really want to just think about, like, you know, you're in a costume. You know, you have a a non-functional weapon, but assume that everyone you come in contact with outside of your house might think it's a real weapon, right? So if you're going to walk from your car to the convention and you have a big assault rifle looking thing, maybe keep that in a bag until you get to the convention. Hmm. Uh, conventions have uh, people who will check and check your weapon to make sure it's fake. And they'll usually tie a zip tie around it to let everyone at the convention know that you've been checked out. You're totally cool. Um, that's the normal sort of method. Um, but still, even still, just pretend like it's a real gun. So if you're posing with someone, don't point it straight at them, hmm. especially if it's a stranger you don't know. Um, if you have a removable orange tip, that's not a bad idea. If you're going to be, if you know, you got this giant rifle, you can't really hide it when you're going to get lunch at the convention. Uh, put a little, like, piece of foam that's painted bright orange just jam that in the end of the barrel and then go go get your lunch hmm. it's a pretty good thing but really it's just like think about how other people are going to perceive you and do everything to, you can to make sure they don't think you're a crazy gun-toting maniac in line and starbucks <laughs> behind them <laughs> gotcha that's uh, something that, i was i was always really curious about that yeah it's a pretty good rule of thumb i will say though if you are shipping stuff to and from other countries, it's really important to consider uh, what laws that country has on those sorts of things. I've heard that shipping stuff to Canada can be a problem if you don't include like an orange tip or something. Um, I And I will say, too, Canada has different laws about guns. And I believe if you have a, a, a common thing to do is to get a Nerf gun, paint it, uh, you know, to look like your costume. And then for the convention, you disable the, the firing mechanism. A lot of conventions say don't have a firing prop, even a Nerf gun. So you disable it, right? You just take out the spring or whatever. Same thing with airsoft guns. Walking around a convention with an airsoft gun that that is still operational, generally a pretty bad idea. Hmm. However, if you live in the States and you're going to drive to Canada to a convention... And you have an airsoft gun that you have modified, even to disable it, and you drive into Canada, you can be arrested for a felony. Really? 
any modification of a firearm or an airsoft gun like that at all can get you in some hot water. So when it comes to weapons, especially firearms or things that look like firearms, it's really, really important to look up not only the rules of the convention, but the laws in the country you might be going to. Interesting. Yes. Huh. I have a friend who did that by accident and did not get caught. Uh, but that would be a really, really crummy way to spend your time at the border. Yeah, no doubt. In a costume. <laughs> In a costume, no doubt, yeah. Uh, Mr. Ninja Man, uh, why do you have these guns? Oh, don't worry, I disabled. You disabled it? Well, well, well. Come with us, Mr. Ninja Man. You're going to spend a little time in our fair country. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we talked about the book a little bit. We talked about yes. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other like media types that you're that you're wanting punished props, which we haven't even talked about the name of your yep. company punished props for anybody that doesn't know. Yep. Are there any other like media types or things that you're going to reach into that you haven't reached into already that you have plans, obviously the future. Sure. Yeah. So we're kind of doubling down on the video thing this year. Um, we really enjoy doing my, my say we, my wife and I, um, who, and she just edited her first couple of videos. I'm so proud of her. Uh, we're, I've done over 300. She's done two. So she has some catching up to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we want to do, we, like I said, we committed to doing one new shop video every week. Um, we do our live show every week. I want to do more live streaming stuff from the shop. People really seem to enjoy that. Um, if they can sort of watch over my shoulder as I work, we're going to be trying out Twitch. I hear Twitch is where all the cool kids are hanging out these days. So I'm going to go go give that a go and see what that's about. Um, for the most part, that's the plan this year. We got a book coming out. We got the YouTube videos. We have the live streaming. Uh, and that's where I think our pro- focus is going to be this year as far as the content. Oh, and, and writing, too. Um, not only am I writing the book, but we, we write stuff for our webpage. I'm going to be writing stuff for Tested.com nice. this year, too. So... So yeah, writing, video, live streaming. That's about it. How about you? That's about it. Like, yeah, you know, we may think of some other stuff to fill the time, you know. Yeah, I'll let you know in a month from now when I realize how much I've committed to and I start crying myself to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any any new areas that you're looking to push into? Or Oh, always. I've yeah. always got tons of stuff. But yeah. nobody cares about me. They want to hear about oh. you. So... <laughs> So uh, you said I'm looking, I'm looking for more ideas. Is really oh okay. I got I have some more room on my schedule here. <laughs> uh, so I want to know about. Well, yeah, I think you kind of already answered this, but I was curious if there was a project. I think the Snowspeeder is the project, but if there was a project that you want to do that's so crazy that it's like too unrealistic to actually do. Oh, is it the no, Snowspeeder? No. No, it's not that one at oh, all. Okay. I have I have another one that uh, it's it's gonna happen. It might take me ten years. Okay. I might not even start it for ten years, but this project is going to happen. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with tiny houses. Mm. You ever seen like the really really small houses yes. that they'll put on like trailers? Yeah. Now I can't justify that because I need this shop space. Like I need space, but I'm still so obsessed with having a tiny house. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is to rebuild Corbin Dallas's apartment from the Fifth Element on a trailer, full scale, and I guess live out of it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not live out of it, but travel like travel around, like use it like a trailer, like a camping trailer. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and then go to conventions and show it off, and people can pretend they hang out in Corbin Dallas's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. 
Awesome. But I need I, obviously I need like a, a garage to work on that. I need mm-hmm. a trailer to build it on. Um, I have some friends who worked on the Fifth Element. So hopefully, I can get some good insight onto what it what it looked like inside the set. Um, but yeah, that's a, that is a super long term project. Yeah, I, I built some furniture for a tiny home one time, a bed yeah. and uh, some just other small pieces, and it was really interesting to see how they fit everything into these little things. It was actually for SCAD. They did yeah. a, a series of these four tiny homes. Oh, they, that's cool. So kids get to live in a parking garage in these things for like a quarter. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, the challenge with Corbin Dallas's apartment is there are elements of it that are really neat, but the totally impossible. Like it, 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 with their set, they had the implication was that there were multiple apartments stacked above and below him. But like his bed just goes into his neighbor's apartment. <laughs> like oh. it slides away. <laughs> And the um, the refrigerator and the uh, dishwasher, or no, no, no the um, uh, shower, are stacked on top of one another, and they go up and down. But they would have to go up into someone else's apartment or down into the one below it. And even if they shared showers or <laughs> or uh, I don't know or refrigerators. <laughs> Like, you don't actually save space by doing it that way. So I'm going to have to figure out some way to do that um, that would work on a trailer. Because huh. clearly I can't just drop the refrigerator through the floor of the trailer. I don't know. Flo- I might. Am- what was that? Floating trailer. That's- Floating trailer. Yeah. Yes. yeah. 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 You just anyway, work- that's that's my pie in the sky project. There's a lot I'm going to have to figure out about that. But but that's the fun part. Like, figuring that out for me is the fun part. Yeah, Definitely. That's awesome. We'll we'll keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> I'd like to see the trailer. I'll yeah. let you know in twenty twenty six. Okay. <laughs> and the snowspeeder. So you got ten years to do the snowspeeder, and then you can have that out of the way. Yep. And then you can move on to the trailer. Yeah. The major thing with the snowspeeder is going to be putting that somewhere, because at least with the trailer, I can justify that it's functional. Oh, that's just our camper. That's our camper. People have campers. <laughs> they just leave them in their yard. That's our camper. The snowspeeder, no one has a snowspeeder. Exactly, no one has a snowspeeder. <laughs> oh, I know. And, but where do you put it? Just on the roof? Just put it on the roof of my my shop. There you <laughs> go. I, I mean, yeah, I think you could put it anywhere, honestly. I think you would be okay. People would just be like, wow, you have a snowspeeder. Yep. It doesn't matter that it's in your front yard. Cool. Well, um, you got anything else you want to, like, anything else coming up that you want to talk about or you want to let people know about or anything? <laughs> should know well like i said we're we're doing a mold making series on our youtube channel Uh so if you're interested in that all at all it's worth uh subscribing just for that it's going to be the next couple of months actually we're doing one video a week we just talked about silicone people want to know about silicone so we just did that one we're going to talk about urethane in the next one uh and then we're going to dive into like one part molds two part molds brush on molds uh and then casting out of those particular things uh, it's kind of a beginner level um, look at mold making, but it is going to be very, very comprehensive. Uh, then in between a bunch of those, we got a couple of little project videos coming out. I'm doing Ray's Blaster from the new Star Wars movie. Sweet. Yes. Diving into just this last year, we got into 3D printing. So I got my Dremel machine back there that's been working nonstop printing pieces. Uh, so we got that. We'll have a full video for Ray's Blaster. Um, and then uh, more, more and more fun stuff after that. So we got some conventions to work for. We got uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I'll have to have a new costume for that. 
can't show up to the local convention uh, with the same costume I wore last year. I got <laughs> I got to come out with something new. So you haven't so. decided what it's going to be yet? No, actually, um, I told you we've been working on some projects with the guys at Tested.com. Last year for um, San Diego Comic-Con, I did the District 9 rifle, Mm -hmm. which was really, really fun. We're looking to hopefully do something like that again this year, uh, possibly for Emerald City. So we have to figure that out and soon so I can start working on it. Right. (laughs) So there. That's that's there's a lot. There's a crap ton more stuff going on there. But uh, that's the that's the bulk of it. Awesome. And the new book will be out when you think. In the next uh, month or two is the plan. We need to finish. Um, I'm doing a couple of doing something different with this book. I uh, I have a couple of example builds that are going to be in the book. So I the first part is going to be all about the techniques and tools and stuff. And then the, there's going to be um, a full build rundown with photos on how to build a giant axe. So something a little more organic, a little more fantasy. And then the same full rundown on building a space gun. Uh, and I'm still building the space gun. And, uh, that'll be done in the next week or so. And once that's done, I can finish writing the rest of the book. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to all of that stuff. Cool. That, Good. I will, I will definitely be, uh, you know, taking some info to use. Sure. I'll throw you. Once the new book's out, I'll throw a copy at you. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess that does it. Where can everybody find all your stuff? Tell me all everything. The yeah. Everything lives at punishedprops.com. Uh, and the name is totally meaningless. I, I had to put something on the form. <laughs> really, is what it came down to. Uh, anyway, punishprops.com and look up Punished Props on YouTube. That's where we're doing a lot of our work this year. Awesome. And uh, Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is chin. Twitter is chinbeard. Instagram is chinbeard. Uh, again, I had to pick a handle and I <laughs> didn't put any thought. In. I had a little scruff of beard on my chin at the time, and I was like, done. No one. <laughs> No one will be. I have a Twitter isn't a thing. No one's going to be using that. You know. Oddly enough, I started following you on Instagram a couple of years ago. Oh really? Somebody somebody liked one of your pictures or tagged me in it or something. Was it a picture of my cat? I hope. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. What for it was. a long time, my entire Instagram feed when I started using it was just pictures of my cat. I don't think I would have followed it for that. So probably no. wasn't. But it was funny because I I started following. I was like, wow, these are really cool props this guy's doing. And then um, I did my Nerf gun video, I don't know, two years later or a year later or something. And somebody was like, hey, you should check out Bill Duran. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I went to start watching your videos. And then from there, I was like, oh, I should check him out on Instagram. Turned out I was already following you and I didn't realize you were the same person. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So anyway, cool. Well, thanks so much for your time. Totally. um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And best of luck in 2016. I hope it's awesome for you and your wife and... I'm fired up. It's going to be great. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, and we'll see you later. All righty. Toodaloo. Yay.